Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, I'm stand-up comedian James Mullinger and the co-founder of Edits Magazine. This is Mullinger Meets Canadians, the podcast where we meet Canadians who are making waves on the world stage. In this episode, I'll be speaking with stand-up comedian Travis Lindsay, the most prolific writer in East Coast comedy. He's been captivating audiences with his incredible mix of jokes and storytelling since the tender age of just 16. Travis was named Best Nova Scotia Comedian on Bell TV's Comedy Bootcamp in 2016 and then went on to win at the CBC Hubcap Comedy Festival Open Mic Contest, which was broadcast on Sirius XM globally. He's also appeared on CBC many times and at the Halifax Comedy Festival. He also hosted the 2020 African Nova Scotian Artist Awards. He recently released his debut comedy album, The Kid Is Alright, which went straight to number one on the iTunes comedy charts. We talk about his life, career, and what it was like being a stand-up comedian while you're still in high school. My mom has set such a high standard for the crazy bullshit she'll text me sometimes. <laughs> that when I don't get it, it really disappoints me. Uh, and what I do when I get those special texts is I save them and then I wait until my album tape and I read them without her knowledge. Um, <laughs> I got this from my mother on a Thursday at 10 o'clock at night. <laughs> Just saved a raccoon from the dumpster. <laughs> That's the most normal sentence you're gonna hear for the next 10 minutes. Travis Lindsay, mate, how you doing? Good, man, how are you? I am bearing up. Um, it is uh, lovely to hear your voice, and it was lovely to, to see you finally last week. We, uh, we obviously did a, a show together, uh, outdoors, socially distanced, uh, in Truro, Nova Scotia. Uh, how did that feel for you, being, being back on stage? It was good. Uh, I, I love, uh, you know, it was definitely, you know, I've done a couple shows in the, in the last couple months or so with things opening back up, but that was, uh, that one, you know, felt definitely special and probably like the most normal out of all the shows I've done recently. So, uh, that sense of normalcy was nice to have back. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Cause I think what, what we discussed on, on Friday night that, that we found so fascinating was the fact that, you know, we're in this position where these gigs, which traditionally wouldn't have been things, they wouldn't have been top of our list of things to do. You know, people all spread out outdoors, uh, broad daylight, but suddenly now, I mean, for without wanting to use that dreaded phrase, the new normal, uh, this has kind of made us, um, you know, realize what it actually takes to be a stand up comedian. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then, you know, I think we have the added bonus of like I was telling you that, you know, the people are kind of starved for some sort of like live entertainment and that 
where normally they probably would have took that for granted, you know, having us uh, perform outside and whenever want to chat with each other, but, you know, having them literally sit next to the people they've been stuck with for six months, you know, they didn't really want to talk to them. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. They, they, they've just been trapped in that bubble. And so now we, we have their undivided attention. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I mean, you mentioned, obviously, that you've been doing uh, shows lately and you've been one of the one of a handful of people across the country that have, have been very proactive in, in mm-hmm. getting out there to do, you know, obviously distanced shows uh, within clubs, but also you were doing fire pit shows, garden shows. Uh, where did that kind of drive come from to, to get out there and, and get back to doing the, the job that you love? Um, more or less just out of, honestly, like de- depression <laughs> of not doing shows. And, yeah. you know, uh, it, it was the longest, I had gone without doing stand-up since I was 16. So, I mean, you know, for, for all the sudden, it would essentially was like, you know, Keith Richards going sober. I think, you know, I think it was on the verge of, like, killing me uh, <laughs> had I not gotten right back to it. So, yeah. uh, you know, I kind of jumped in and took whatever opportunities I could to uh, perform in circumstances that I would normally dread. That's a very good point. I mean, I think also, do you think that because of the fact that here in the Maritimes, we don't have this this built-in kind of star system, this built-in industry, we've always kind of had to fend for ourselves. We've always had to make stuff happen for ourselves. Do you think that in some ways that made it easier for us to transition into being performers in a global pandemic than it possibly would be for someone in Toronto or Montreal or LA who's just used to the, the phone ringing? Oh, absolutely. I think, yeah, this is, uh, this is not, uh, the most unusual circumstance for us. I mean, this is kind of like, it almost felt like summer started way earlier because <laughs> usually summer around here is our dead season, you know, for a lot of us and people are on vacation that we're a big tourist city. So they're, you know, people aren't coming out to the clubs and that. So you really got to kind of like hustle to get work in the summertime. And it's just felt like it's been July since March. So I think like a lot of people, you know, kind of get kicked in the ass and get kicked in the gear and uh, motivated to keep going because I think a lot of people are just terrified of getting rusty and forgetting how to do this. That's it. I mean, I mean, you are known for being extremely prolific when it comes to to writing jokes, and by that I mean, I mean, I've mm-hmm. never seen you do the the same set twice, and it's 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 you know it's it's incredible how your your material evolves. Were you able to kind of use that lockdown time to write, or did you just find it all too depressing? <laughs> no, I definitely found time to write or at least, you know, jot stuff down to like kind of keep track of things going on and things to write about. Um, it, uh, it did get hard. I would say around like, you know, a month without doing it in, uh, kind of was getting to me because I, f- I felt like I'd forgotten how to do stand up. Right, yeah. Like I would like listen to like audio recordings or sets and stuff and be like, I don't, I can't do that. I don't know who that person is. I don't know how I got there. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's like going back to the beginning, isn't it? It's like, that, yeah, you know, because um, normally, as you say, you wouldn't go more than a, 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 a week or at most two weeks without doing a show. So suddenly four yeah. months is like starting again. Yeah, no, yeah, two weeks without a show, I feel like a bum. So like, you know, a whole month I was, yeah, those nerves grew back and the, the fear of failure and... Uh, you know, a lot of shit you got to work out, but uh, uh, thankfully things are kind of picking back up. Yeah. 
I mean, I mean, people that have seen you perform would 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 think it was surprising that you would feel nerves. A because of your your presence and your confidence on stage, but also quite uniquely, uh, you started. You mentioned this earlier. Very young, you started at sixteen. I mean, you know, I think Seth Rogen and Chris Rock are kind of famously two of the only people that kind of started in in their teens. Um, mm. What do you think it was that? I mean, and again, I mean, I, I mean, I, and again, I guess in some ways, I start. I mean, I started at twenty six, and that still feels slightly. Early, you know, Ricky Gervais, for example, didn't start till he was forty. Like people often start this later in life, uh, and and yeah. my wish is that I'd start earlier. What was it that spurred you on at sixteen to know that that this is what you wanted to do? Um, <laughs> arrogance and uh, bitterness. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, the two I, the two traits of all comedians. <laughs> yeah, my origin story started very young. Um. I, uh, I had auditioned for my uh, high school improv team <laughs> and uh, I didn't get in and uh, I thought it was because they didn't think I was funny. Uh, but at the time they saw me more of like a single performer, not like a group performer. Uh, but I took that as they didn't think I was funny. So I signed up for the talent show and I just kind of jumped in uh, with both feet and uh, I entered the talent show at high school and uh, and I won. Wow, amazing! And uh, you know, I was I was kind of hooked on that adrenaline and high from it. I mean, I still like vomited before the show, and you know, debated knocking out a tooth so I didn't have to do it. But uh, you know, once I got up there, I was like, I didn't want to leave, so that was kind of uh, that was my first hit yeah. of uh, this heroin called comedy. <laughs> so, do you remember that that feeling? What that feeling was like being up there when the first laugh comes, and and you know, did, was it kind of a, a, this moment of of clarity? Do you think where you were just like, I, I need that hit as much as possible for the rest of my life? Oh, absolutely! It was, uh, you know, it was that fear, and then I got that first laugh, and it's like jumping out of a plane, and then like you know, the parachute worked. So I was like, okay, here we go. We're kind of floating now. We can kind of this isn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. There's, you know, there really is no fear. I mean, bombing sucks, but uh, you, you, you learn that that's not the worst thing in the world. Yeah. You're right. It's funny, isn't it? People think that, that, you know, how you overcome bombing is by uh, having more great gigs. But the reality is the more times we bomb when we start out, it's far better for us because we realize that, as you say, it happens and then nothing doesn't mean anything. Doesn't, you know, you walk out of there and it's done. And I, I find that, yeah. you know, it's, um, I find a lot of what is considered the, what people think this industry is like and this job is like, it's often the opposite. Um, you know, and that is a perfect example of one of those things. Oh yeah, no, most definitely. Yeah. I don't think, uh, I, I always think bombing is a is a good thing. I mean, you're trying something different or, you know, I mean, very, it, you know, it's not always the audience. And, you know, most times it's not the audience, but sometimes it's the audience. And, um, and I think people got to stop being the moment you you not stop caring about the audience, but the moment you stop caring about the opinion from the audience and you're just yourself and you kind of, you know, accept me for who I am, you know. I think that's a much better place for a comic to be. Yeah. When when did you feel that that transition? Because you're right. That is that absolutely is the moment when when you're up there and you're not just standing there thinking, "Love me," and and you just go up there and do. Do, do you remember when that kind of uh, shift happened for you? Yeah, it was uh, it was pushing three years in 
So it would have been about uh, tw- 2012, one night of yucks. Um, I used to be terrified of any kind of oohs or ahs, and I didn't want to, like, ruffle any feathers. So, like, any time I felt like, you know, they are pulling back on me, I would immediately kind of give in to something more friendly and upbeat and so they would, you know, kind of like me. And I just remember one amateur night, um, there was someone up before me, and they just laughed at something I thought was kind of hacky, and I just kind of... <laughs> Uh, a part of my French, I was kind of like, you know, fuck these people. Um, I, I don't want you to laugh at me. And then for some reason, they ended up laughing harder that set. And uh, it kind of felt good. Like, it felt like this release and this tension was kind of like eased up. And um, yeah, it was kind of like the first little click into just being, you know, more of myself up there than I thought I was already being. Yeah, basically being less, as soon as we're less self-conscious about anything in life, we're going to be better at it. And that is the, the key, isn't it? Who were, your, who were your comedy heroes growing up, do you think? Growing up, um, you know, the, the biggest ones in the stand-up format for me uh, prior, uh, you know, was my like first real introduction to stand-up and the rawness of it. Um, Eddie, Eddie Murphy, um, you know, Chappelle, Chappelle is probably the biggest influence. Uh, you know, my teen years definitely, you, you know, it's kind of controversial now, but at the time Louis CK was, uh, you know, a, a big one. Um, but yeah, definitely, you know, prior Chappelle, Eddie Murphy, those were like the three big ones. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all, all the greats. I mean, do you find it for, for yourself that do you find it harder to talk about kind of race and racism it, living in a place like the Maritimes than it would be in a more kind of, you know, uh, diverse place? I used to. I, I, would, I would definitely say before this started, I, 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 uh, I used to and probably my material is more curated to making them feel comfortable about it uh, than myself. And, um, I think now, uh, I think I would, I find it easier to do it, uh, in places like this, even though I'm, you know, some people are kind of like, you know, are kind of reserved and, you know, a little tense when it comes to entering those kind of subjects around here. Uh, cause I think a lot of people want to think that, you know, we have like a, we're a perfect friendly place with no issues like that. But, um, and I think now I think it would be harder for me in the city where people are just going to clap and agree with you than have like an actual real emotion to whatever you're saying. So, uh, I, I think on both ends, um, on an end of having a, a, a good fun show, not go awry. Yeah. It's kind of harder. Uh, but in a, in a sense of it meaning more when it goes well, I think, yeah, it's easier to do here. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, the, the the beauty of it is, of course, that it's not your job to make the audience feel comfortable. It's your job uh, to to do great stand up, and that's what you do. Um, and I guess conversely, do you feel, in some ways, a, a responsibility, especially now when you know, obviously, uh, as you as you touched upon, there's been this misnomer here for for a long time that we you know we don't have that problem here, which um, you know I think now is starting to change. And again, it's one of the one of the the many great kind of offshoots. Of 
of the, the Black Lives Matter movement, that people within uh, a place like the Maritimes are starting to realise that we do have this systemic racism. It is, it is everywhere, and just because uh, it's less diverse here doesn't mean those, those problems aren't there. Do, do you feel that in some way, do you feel responsible as kind of uh, the Maritimes kind of only working black stand-up comic that you, that you have to do that stuff, or do you just want to do the stuff that you... Uh, no will make them laugh what's your what, you know kind of how do you feel about um, that yeah i think i, I kind of have to address that elephant in the room i think uh, especially with uh my style and storytelling and you know a lot of personal stuff in my act um i feel like i do have to address it or else i'm kind of just doing a disservice and i maybe uh you know perpetuating the idea that there is no problems here and it's like well he's happy he's not complaining about anything (laughs) you know so i feel like there is a responsibility for me to kind of like at least address my personal experiences with that stuff on stage and you know uh if i can add humor in for sure it you know that's always the first thing i want i want it to be funny uh, but if I can get a point in there across too, and maybe kind of open some minds when people leave the show, then uh, yeah, I think that's a great thing. I mean, don't get me wrong; I want to talk about stupid shit like pizza pockets and that too. But <laughs> you know, if I can make some serious shit funny, that's uh, that's really important to me. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that that's the incredible thing. It's 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 a it's a difficult thing when when you have this 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 job that you're amazing at, this job that you that you love, but then you do have that kind of uh, you know essentially this kind of weight of, of responsibility but at the same time you have found this this impeccable way as as so many great comedians have of um addressing it in a way that is um very kind of you know um well, I mean, a perfect example is first time I, I saw you live was, uh, you know, at, at Bailey's in, in Halifax. Um, I think, I, I, think I, was, I, was, I was sitting with your mum or close to your mum and you have that amazing line, which I hope I'm not spoiling this for, for people who are going to buy your, your album after this. But, uh, but you say, I come from a, a pretty mixed race family. My dad was black. My mum was curious. Um, absolutely uh, uh, amazing. One of those just perfect uh, jokes, which, you know, I mean, as, as comedians, we are constantly trying to, um, you know, make it get to the laugh as quickly as possible that is like it's, it's less than a, a dozen words there's like three uh, levels to that joke there's also a lot of information in there and it was uh, it was wonderful to sit there and watch this kind of whole room fall about laughing and also uh to to be sat there with your mum in hysterics as well that was a a, a wonderful night um, you know, for, for, for those kind of jokes, like, do you, where, where does that come from? And then how do you kind of whittle it down to something kind of so tight and so pithy? Uh, I think really just luck more than that. Like, I, I would love to say that, like, you know, I was like, oh, boom, but like, that was something, you know, like I really crafted and whittled down. I, I think I just shot it out on stage one night in a riff and, uh. And then I was like, okay, well, this is, this is like a good opener, you know, tester joke. We can see where we're going with, uh, with the crowd and how they respond to that bit, uh, for sure. And then we can kind of see where they're at when I can kind of curate everything else to, to fit that vibe. But, um, yeah, I think, you know, it's just life plus time to think about, you know, life and, uh, it's it you find a way to carve it into something that gets your point across yeah 
It makes sense. It's um, it, it, it's fascinating to me because it's what 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 I love so much about your style of joke writing is, like I say, it is that very kind of uh, tight nature of them. You know, um, I I often you know curse myself for kind of having uh, you know build ups that are too long or, or all of those things. Um, you know, and I think it's interesting you said about how the fact it was a, it was a, a riff on stage one night, which again again that's something which people don't realise that you know it's hard to sit down and just sit and go I'm going to write. A joke half the, the stuff that we ends up in our act is stuff that just comes out of our mouth one night or we go up there with a premise and then start talking and it's literally just based on audience reaction uh you know what becomes a kind of a, a permanent bit in your show yeah no absolutely um it's almost impossible for me to sit down and uh write out a bit uh you know i used to script my stuff and then i just found i was i was you know now i'm just reading words that i wrote at a time and they're not being performed with whatever emotion i'm feeling that day uh you know there are some bits that i've that i've done well happy and sad and whatever and that kind of all reflects it and you know you learn how to make it work through all that different stuff and i think you become a a stronger comic when you have you know an idea a good idea of what you're doing you have an act to fall back on but uh you're kind of just up there being yourself uh is to me the most important thing and i find that's where the best jokes come from mm. so true i mean your um your, your album uh the kid is all right is is just a fantastic example of this just a, a incredibly you know a tight and and hilarious and beautifully recorded album and of course uh you know went to number one on itunes earlier this year how did that feel did that feel like kind of a validation especially as i say like we are in this part of the world that we're in people told us that we couldn't do what we want to do because we live in the maritimes how, how, how did that feel for you yeah that felt real good i mean i remember the day of just like kind of constantly checking uh like itunes and to see it crawl up like i was just like if i can just hit one for at least 30 seconds uh you know i'll be happy and i'll feel like i kind of did something right and you know um especially around here you gotta take any credits you can get so I was like, if I can just get, if I can beat this one French guy with his 10 albums constantly up there, I can. Uh, <laughs> Who's that guy? I, I, I have no idea. It's, that's the most frustrating thing. I mean, you know, there's like Canadian comedy, which is like Toronto, Vancouver and out West. And then there's us. And then there's Quebec's got their entire own world. Um, but, uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was a good feeling. It was something, you know, proud of, and I'm, I'm sure some people probably popped on there and like, who the hell is this guy? I've never seen this guy at, you know, one of the 10 open mics with just comics in the audience. Um, but, uh, it, yeah, it was kind of like reassuring that, okay, maybe I can give this a good run here. Uh, I don't need to live somewhere else, you know, although that debate's constantly in my head about moving somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's interesting. I mean, I mean, lots of people obviously, I mean, have have left, and you are one of one of the uh, a handful of people that have that have you know uh, stayed and made a successful career of it here. Um, you know, what are the what are the, the the best things? And I mean, I guess I guess everyone kind of knows what the what the difficult things are about being in any creative field here. But what, what are the what are the positives about doing what we do here? Uh, I think one of the things. Um, definitely is the stage time that we do have. We may not be able to do, you know, three, four shows a night, uh, but, you know, at least here in Halifax, there's 
pre-pandemic, there was, you know, a show going on every night. So if I really wanted to, I could probably get on stage, you know, once a night at least. And at least then it's I'm not getting on for just like two minutes. Uh, you know, I'm usually, you know, I can get like a 10 minute set every night and do it in front of at least a couple actual audience members. And for the style that I do, I've, you know, I found that so much more helpful than when I did live in Toronto and, you know, yeah, I could do 10 mics a night and, you know, really whittle down and work on, you know, my quick, quickest bits, but, uh, I wasn't creating, a you know an hour of work or a headlining set i was creating you know showcase just little showcase sets and i think that can only do you so much for so long yeah that's so true it's funny because people often say it to me about you know you know there must be so much more stage time in london and i guess i mean when i was starting out there was mm. You know, if you're if you're a, if you're Mike Wilmot or Sean Collins or established comic, yeah, they can do eight gigs a night. But I was signing up for open spots, and it would be eight months away because there were so many uh, open mic comedians. And then you know, on eight months would come uh, would arrive, and I'd have waited eight months for this gig, and I'd turn up, and then there would be it would be not happening because not enough people had showed up, or you'd be performing for just comics. And as you say, I mean, here there is this kind of this definite kind of grassroots approach movement where also you know we get to play to bigger crowds this is what i think i um realized quite quickly here why people get good so quickly in atlantic canada is you get to perform for decent sized audiences sooner whereas i think in london i mean you would never be performing for more than 50 people probably after five years and yet you know there is the chance here to do obviously you know i mean when there was obviously yucks in st john or yucks in st john's newfoundland and and obviously hopefully yuck yucks in halifax will survive but it was there is those opportunities to play and it's such a different beast when you are learning that craft because when you're performing to six people it's not really a test of the material and it's not a test of you and you're not really learning to be a, a comic you learn to be a comic in front of you know 30 40 50 plus people right yeah yeah most definitely yeah those are more those help you learn how to survive uh the rough nights but uh, yeah they don't help you play to bigger audiences i think they can help you with uh confidence and um self-esteem uh, I always found smaller audiences what make me nervous. I can, I'll happily do a show in front of a thousand people, and you know, not uh, not worry at all. But a show with like fifteen, where I can see every single person's face, uh, I find so intimidating yeah. yeah, it's true. It's true. It's definitely the scariest thing, and people think it would be the other way around. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people do. A lot of people think, you know, does like big crap make you nervous? I'm like, no, it makes me feel fine. Cause you know, if you're doing a show in front of a thousand people and only half of them laugh, that's 500 people, you know, you do a show in front of 15 and half laugh. That's like seven people, uh, which sometimes can be funny and amusing for your own, uh, sick needs. But, uh, <laughs> that's right. 
That's true. Are you um you working on a you working on a, a second album? What's your what's your kind of a, a plan for the next kind of you know twelve months? Yeah, I was hoping to uh, record. Um, oh, there goes an alarm. There's my actual wake up time. Um, <laughs> sorry, shit, we got you. We did get you up early. Sorry. <laughs> that, that, that has got to stay in because that is an insight into the comedian's life. <laughs> People. Yeah. Uh, that's, uh... Oh, I guess, I guess for, for listeners, it is. It's three in the afternoon. No, it's not. <laughs> it's uh, it's ten twenty four a.m. So Travis Lindsay wakes up at ten twenty four a.m., which is that's a, it's a bit that's a respectable. Actually, no, sorry, it's ten thirty. It's a respectable time for. Uh, we all know comedians yeah. who literally stay in bed till uh, about six six p.m. So uh, oh yeah, you know, and that's not even during a pandemic. <laughs> no, this is a regular Tuesday afternoon. Yeah. Um, yeah, pre-pandemic, I was planning on recording something uh, this year. Uh, I wanted to uh, record another album. I, you know, I felt like I had enough uh, material uh, to to burn. Um, so it's, uh, you know, my set list and what I planned on having for the second album is all is all there. Uh, I just need to find time now to be able, you know, enough venues to work on it and get it polished up enough uh, to feel comfortable recording it. Because uh, there's some stuff on there that I've not performed in months. Uh, there's little things here and there that I've done at the shows I've done, but for the most part, I've done mostly new stuff. Um, so I guess the, the main thing I'm thinking about doing right now is just uh, at least an EP of more topical stuff that I'm probably not going to be able to do in you know six months to a year. That I that I'm kind of like proud of that I've written during quarantine that I would you know just to have out there since uh, you know I'm not going to be able to keep performing it anyways unless I you know kind of change it totally. Yeah, no, that's a very good point. When do you think people will be? Because right now, you know, I mean, people, it's just it's a novelty to to be out for us to be performing. It's a novelty for audiences. When will COVID joke fatigue set in? I mean, I mean, I think we've still got six months at least. But but oh, but, well, but uh, four months ago, oh, oh, <laughs> you think it was four months ago? People are sick of it, and now they don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear they, when they come out. They don't want to be reminded. Is that what you think? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, specifically, like, you know, I mean, again, you know, nothing is totally hack if you can get a really good, fresh approach on it. Uh, but, you know, yeah, joke, COVID joke, I mean, they're going to be hard to be original and, you know, something that your aunt hasn't already posted in a meme on Facebook. I mean, there's, it's, uh, yeah, I think when people go out, they, they want a bit of the, what was the normal world before uh, the anything? Uh, but if you do bring it up, you know you just kind of it's it's really just got to be really funny. Yeah, I mean, I mean, and that's a very good point. What what's fascinating about the fact that no one's been obviously performing, and of course now it's starting to happen now. But traditionally, when anything happens um, in the world, you know, and comedians are all kind of writing about it, suddenly everyone's coming out and there's lots of people with the same joke. I mean, I remember in England when, um, it, they started stop 
they stopped automatically giving out plastic carrier bags in in grocery stores and and but and every single comedian from lee evans through to i mean dozens of other you know big name arena comics through to every open spot came up with the same premise of you know you're buying 50 things and they say you know would you like a plastic bag and oh no i'm going to carry all these inanimate objects they everyone come up with it, and again no one no one stole it they all just came up with it at the same time when suddenly the clubs reopen it's going to be interesting to see how many of us are going. Oh, I've got the exact. Okay, we got. I got to drop that. Like, there's going to be a lot of crossover, isn't there? Oh, there's going to be a, <clears throat> a huge amount of crossover, and yeah, and I, you know that'll be uh, that'll be the, the thing for where you can see where comics at. Where he's like, okay, fine, I'm not going to do it. No big deal. And other guys will be panicking, being like, no, I fucking need this two minutes. So <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna do it right after you even just did it. So. Um, yeah, I love, we're, we're hyenas and we all kind of just jump on the same carcass trying to get the biggest scrap of meat. So, uh, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. That's a perfect way of putting it. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I mentioned earlier kind of, you know, how, how, uh, prolific you are in terms of the, the turnover of material. Do you think that is also potentially a benefit of being in, in a place where people are coming back to shows a lot in the, uh, a comedian in England could be travelling the country doing the clubs with uh, the same 20 minutes for a decade, and, and some do, some don't, but, but, but some do. And, and it's not considered a problem. They've honed that 20, it's perfect. Whereas when you are performing, I know you travel all over and you perform all over the place, but, but, but you perform in Halifax a lot to stay fresh, to stay sharp, and I'm imagining lots of people are coming back to see you time and time again. I mean, that's... that's a, must force an incredible work ethic on you where you're like I'm performing at this venue again the audience might be the same I need to have a new 10 20 minutes for next week is that another benefit would you say to being here yeah absolutely I think yeah the turnover rate that you know at least I personally feel I have to do uh is is high and I think even that stems back to starting in high school when my audience was just my you know my high school so it was the same people every single show. So every time there was a coffee house or a talent show, I had to have a new, uh, you know, I 10, 15 minutes. And I was, you know, I, that was the arrogance of being 16 and thinking, oh, yeah, you just write, you know, new sets every time. You don't need to worry about crafting stuff because it is the same audience. So I feel like, you know, once I got out into the real world of, of comedy and was around people and then you know i personally just get bored with material easily and you know a lot of times i'll write something and i'll do it a few times but then i kind of put it on the back burner and then when i get something fresh or whatever to add to it i'll bring it back out and you know then it at least kind of seems somewhat newer and or more relevant uh at, at the time i perform it you know i have I have material that is old, but I've only done it once or twice and it's not polished yet and it's sitting on the shelf until a more appropriate time comes along for it. So, I, you know, I have a nice reserve of preserved jokes, really. How how was your high school experience like? Did 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 becoming the the you know lots of people are the you know, just get described as the as the class clown, but you were quite literally you were the the, the school stand up comedian. Did that? Um, were you already popular before that? Did it make you popular? Did you start getting loads of girls? What was the what was that process like? It was. Uh, I was always. I wouldn't consider myself popular, but I could I could get along with everyone, you know, like. 
no one that was like considered popular didn't get along with me. No one that was considered like a nerd didn't get along with, like I was kind of could travel between both worlds and I, uh, which I think makes it better for an audience. And, uh, cause you can relate to both sides and you don't, you know, you're not coming in on a specific team. Uh, I think after I started doing it, of course, you know, most adults don't understand how comedy works, let alone kids. So like you do like two talent shows and like, you know, you should like send something in to just for laughs. And, you know, even at 16, I was like a 50 year old man being like, that's not, that's not how that works. Uh, but, um, but I, I think it, uh, it made my time in high school, uh, go a little faster, which was nice. Um, but I also think at the time it may have been, uh, the one down point was I was the moment I did it the first time. That's all I was focused on. Uh, my co-op placements were comedy based, um, everything, anytime, you know, I, I was in plays that I dropped out of to go do sneak into clubs and do sets. Uh, my life since I was 16, is just revolved around the standup. Uh, I did it at my prom. I was supposed to do it on graduation, but they're afraid that like, since I was leaving school that I would just start do a dirty set. So they kind of <laughs> pulled back the last minute. Um, but yeah, no, my high school experience was probably better than most. Cause I had a, a thing I was passionate about and I had a good group of friends that supported me. Nice. And then when, when did you move to Toronto and how long were you there for? I moved in the fall of 2012 for school. And, uh, I was there, uh, up until about summer 2014. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was a good experience, uh, in terms of like networking and meeting a bunch of people uh and stuff like that but you know going to school for comedy i felt like at least in the stand-up aspect you just had to get out and uh and do it which uh you know may affect affected my grades in the long run but uh you know stand that's what i was there for i was there for comedy and i was really focused on stand-up and 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 obviously, I mean, you know, you you grown up in Nova Scotia. Nova Scotia's home. Is that you know? Do do you see yourself uh, uh, settling down there, living there forever? Like like, what, what do you love about the province, and what do you love about the the people there? Uh, yeah, I do love. You know, I love it that it it is certainly home for me. When I first moved back, I was not happy at the time. Um, but now, uh, I think yeah, eventually, like you know, when when I'm older and, you know, more stable in, in my life, I would like to, I'd like to, I'd at least like to have a place here. Um, I just find with people, and this was the thing I noticed, you know, six months into living in Toronto, it's a huge city with so many people, but there are times where you never feel more alone. Uh, where here in Halifax, you know, where I live, like kind of out in the suburbs of it is, I can go for a walk, maybe run into one to two people, but they'll wave to you, they'll smile, they'll say hi. Meanwhile, in Toronto, you can go to a packed eating center and people won't even, you know, make eye contact with you. Uh, so I do, there's just this more sense of uh, home pride and people kind of coming together as a community for the most part, you know. Again, we all have our problems, the you know, wherever we're from. But uh, for the most part, I, I yeah. I find people at least kind of try to be uh, more, not nicer, but more approachable. So true. So true. Well, Travis, I, I can't thank you enough for, for your time. And like I say, as you know, since I first 
saw you perform. I've been a been a, a huge fan of yours. Uh, love all that you do, and and quite frankly, I, I cannot wait for that for that second album. Um, and thanks, man. Can't wait to see it go to number one again. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Can't wait to do it. It was a great time to you, man. You too, brother. Thank you so much. Love you, man. Cheers. Yes. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Mullinger Meets Canadians. If you like greatness, creativity, being inspired, laughing, or just love Canada as much as I do, then this is the podcast for you. So please do subscribe and review the show now. And be sure to purchase Travis Lindsay's hit number one album, The Kid Is Alright, on iTunes now. Go see him live and also follow him on Instagram at the Travis Lindsay. Further details can be found on the edit website, maritimeedit.com. I will see you next time. Podstarter. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.